0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of That One Time I Dated a Mormon. Um I had um a message last week after last week's episode from someone not complaining but I suppose critiquing that I uh, call this podcast that one time I dated a Mormon and very rarely talk about the Mormons. Um, I have done, if you look in my vast back catalogue, which I'm sure you're all um, completely afraid with and don't just skip past. Um, I have spoken about them a few times, but please be aware that's the hook, that's the title hook. Um, I wrote a book uh, in the the pandemic which was essentially a series of essays um, looking at um, my history of, well, history ongoing, Um, just mental illness and anxiety and depression and OCD and intrusive thoughts and all that fun stuff chucked into a pot together. Um, And the pandemic was a time when I think a lot of people were able to really think and take stock and reflect. And um, I did that after years of therapy and psychotherapy and treatment and drugs and everything just not working, to write about it instead. And it went into a book called That One Time I Dated Woman and Other Stories. Um, and then I used that as a platform into this podcast. Um, and the first few episodes were extracts from the book, um, of which, you know, there were um, essays in there about the Mormons that I knew and that I was in a relationship with, the family that I um, became involved with, my experiences in the Mormon church and then as the podcast has gone on and it's grown, um, thank you, um, I've obviously just gone off and branched into different things and it's always been a podcast that looked at um, issues that were interesting to me, pertinent issues, social issues um, and issues around how we treat each other and particularly around um, supporting People have difficult conversations um, and mental health. Even though I do feel at times that's a little bit of an overused phrase, but it is around mental health discussions. Um, but with that um, comment last week, which is fine, she's justified. Um, I um, just completely coincidentally was reading this week um, the Kathy Griffin uh, memoir, official book club selection, which is a hilarious title. And continuing to watch her television show, My Life on the D-List, which is brilliant if you've not watched it. And there was an episode back in around 2010 when she was um, fighting against Proposition 8. Um, And I'll be going into Proposition 8 later on in the episode, which does link into the Mormon church and the Mormon faith. Um, So I will be talking about the Mormons um, later on in the episode. First of all, though, little roundup of things. Um, I'm sure you will have been aware of the. Uh, God, how do you. What adjective is best? Um, Shitstorm. No, that's not good enough. Um, just bastard. Uh, Jeremy Clarkson this week so his comment around Meghan Markle and obviously there's been lots of continuing fallout around the Harry and Meghan documentary which I think is excellent I finished um, just a few days ago I think it was brilliant really well done and particularly I think paints her in a much in the light that she deserved to be painted in and presented in but essentially he released um, I think it was an article that said that he hated her on a a cellular level um and that um he hated him more than rose west um and that has and I'm quite proud of the fact that that has received um seventeen thousand five hundred complaints, which is more complaints than Ofcom got in the entirety of twenty twenty one just as one comment which shows how horrendous he is as a person um because if you think about breaking that down. So he's essentially saying that he hates a woman of colour who is outspoken, with an opinion, with a brain, with a mind, who is spoken up against a white patriarchal system. He hates her more than a child killer. Um, He also said that he wanted her to be recreated or to recreate the shame scene with Cersei Lannister in... Game of Thrones, Shame for What, standing up for herself. Um, just horrendous. But what's really bugged me even further is then, can you imagine, for example, if Meghan Markle had come out and, you know, said something like that about somebody. She, her life wouldn't be worth living. I mean, in the documentary, um, I think I mentioned last week, one of her main points about the media is that she gets the consequence of everything that they write. They write something negative about her, the consequences that she gets a death threat. And um, people like Jeremy Clarkson just don't seem to understand that. Um, he released a tweet, um, which was you know, very good of him, obviously, to be asked to do that. And um, he said... This is on December 19th. Oh dear, I'd rather put my foot in it. I wrote in a column, I wrote about Megan. I made a clumsy reference to a scene in Game of Thrones and this has gone down badly with a great many people. I'm horrified to, of course, so much hurt and I should be more careful in future. Clumsy. No, you haven't made a clumsy reference because you wrote it. You would have proofread it. Someone would have proofread it for you. But that's not a clumsy. It's not an apology at all. But then what's annoyed me even more about it is that... Um, you know, I think the idea of cancelling someone is quite a difficult, tricky thing to be to 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 talk about, and whether people should be cancelled or not for something that they've done or said, sometimes years ago as well. Um, but if there's one person who deserves to be cancelled now, it's him. Um, but the ITV bosses, white men, have said that he won't lose his job, that he will remain in his position, even though they say, quote. It was, quote, awful of him to to say that, and his, and his um, comment was awful. He will not lose his job. Um, and what type of picture does that paint to a little girl of colour? That a powerful, rich white man can say that he prefers children, um, child murderers over you. So don't ever speak up. Shut the fuck up if you are a young girl, particularly one of um, a different race. Because a white man can say what he wants and he won't even lose his job. Um, And um, I don't know, I just think that it was a lost opportunity to really um, stand up for her and just say that the the capitalist white men who run the media can't continue to do the things they're doing. There's one thing we should have taken away from the documentary is that it's run by white capitalist men and Jeremy Clarkson just got away with it again. Um, other happier things. Let's talk about some more positive things. Um, I don't know if last week I spoke about the Lindsay Lohan masterpiece of Fallen for Christmas on Netflix. It was the only Christmas film I've watched thus far. Um, I'm not really a Christmas film person, but I watched that just because I wanted to see if Lindsay Lohan could act. She can't. Um, it's like not even bad good or shit good. It's just horrendous um and i feel really sorry for because you can see in some scenes like you can see she's really like got herself ready beforehand to act there's one scene where um she talks to like a horse in a stable and she finds herself you know in a similar situation to this horse because they're both alone and there's a single tear runs down her eye that somebody's probably just like put on with a petri um dish drip or whatever um Awful. I mean, worth watching if you just want an hour and a half of absolute car crash. But, like, beyond terrible. And then, obviously, the best news of the week. Emily in Paris, the ultimate hate watch, is back. Um, I re-watched the last episode of season two just to remind myself of the plot because it's so complicated. I had to remind myself what was going on. Um, and I forgot certain things like how... Healthy is the most stereotypically and offensively cockney person to ever grace the television. Um, I forgot, for example, that um, despite the fact that Emily is, you know, probably not on a fantastic wage, has different clothes every five seconds, can eat out at Parisian restaurants, Paris restaurants, every night of the week um and that the only song buskers know is the on rose i forgot that all about that um but very excited to start that as a nice little festive treat as well but then um just going back to the jamie clarkson thing for a moment i came across a new word this week and it's from a an account called everyday racism on Instagram, which is also similar to another account that I follow and I mention quite frequently called Diversify Narrative. And it's a new word, which um, has been obviously been around. I think it was first coined in 2010, I believe, when I was reading about it. But um, I'd just not heard before. And it's called, or the word is, misogynoir. And it's where racism and sexism meet, is how it's defined. Misogynoir. So M-I-S-O-G-Y-N-O-I-R. Um, and... Basically, that is just Jeremy Clarkson's personification of that, isn't he? Piers Morgan is the personification of that misogynoir. Um, And I just thought that I love the fact that language is always changing and I love the fact that language is always adapting to situations, but how sad is it that we're in 2022 and people are having to be taught new words, including myself, about something so negative that I've just learned a new word for someone who's racist and sexist, and they're called a misogynoir. Um, what world are we living in that I'm having to learn these words? Um, and, that, and that is very, very privileged of me to say that I'm having to learn these words because I've not experienced it. But I'm sure you can see the point I'm trying to get at. Um, that, you know, in this, you like to think, post-pandemic, nice society we're in, that people are learning a new word. Where racism, sexism, meet, misogyny war, um, and just um, kind of on the offshoot of that, when I talk about, um, you know, uh, sexism and patriarchy, misogyny in school, um, quite often children may have heard of those terms, but they've never heard of misandry, um, and I always make sure to educate them on the other side of the debate as well and make sure that they know that injury is something that happens in society as well. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I've done a few episodes looking at... Um, singledom and being single and being a singleton. Um, I've referenced, you know, things like Bridget Jones and how it looks more comically and the idea of dating yourself and taking yourself on dates and um having a table for one and i know that at christmas time and i mentioned this before that it can be quite a difficult time for people to be single for various reasons um you know attending parties attending family gatherings um you know defending yourself when people ask you if you, you know why are you still single at you know at the end of the year the you know a year later from when they last asked you um and it can be quite a um a difficult time as well for people who suffer from and have issues with food as well. It's a very food and drink intensive time. And if you are someone who finds a lot of that difficult, social groups, being single, being alone and eating and drinking publicly, um, when there's almost an expectation that you will have it in excess, then it's a really difficult time of year. And um, some people just don't, have never experienced that and would not think about that. But for some people, it's a real worry and a real thought. Um, you know, I would be... Completely lying if I said that I don't go into the Christmas festive period with some prep- trepidation around food, um, as someone who has suffered with an eating disorder since I was at least fifteen years old. Um, it is not as calm and relaxing as it should be in that particular aspect of Christmas. Um, you know, it's you know, it's, it it might sound. bit daft, it might sound sad, there'll be some people listening to this who will completely understand what I'm going to say, but I remember driving to work probably about a month ago now in November, and I was already thinking about what was going to be on the Christmas table for dinner with my parents, and what I was already thinking a month in advance what I would feel comfortable having and not having um and it's little things that drip into the christmas period as well like how and again some people won't, won't this won't even register to them but for some people this will hit home the idea that if you have an advent calendar that's a, that's a chocolate every day that you're going to have and where does that fit into your um program front of another word if you are someone who really counts everything that you eat um if you're offered a christmas um chocolate from a christmas tree if um you know you are given chocolate as a present do you eat it do you gift it which is selfish do you just not have it which seems quite selfish as well um do you just leave it somewhere i like, might accidentally forget to take it home um and these are all things that people who have experiences and have an eating disorder little decisions and little micro choices and little micro triggers that come into your everyday existence when it's meant to be a time of the year when everything is just free and fun and relaxing and for various reasons, whether that's economic, whether that is family relations or whether that is down to food anxiety and food issues. It can be a really difficult time of year for a lot of people. Um, And I was reading an article in The Independent. You may notice that The Independent is the only newspaper that I read. Um, one, because a lot of the others are trash, particularly Daily Mail and Sun. Um, but the independent alike, and this isn't an ad, I don't get paid for it, um, although they can pay me if they want to. Um, I just like it, it has a complete spectrum of um, opinions: it has right-wing, it has left-wing, it has um, news, and pundits and commentators from all around the globe. I just think it's a completely universal newspaper. I love it. So, anyway, this article this week was looking at festive do's and don'ts for people who are single at this time of year, and it just gives a couple of little suggestions. So, for example, um, do make sure you talk to people about gift expectations. So, you know, set a target or um, an agreement on who you're going to buy for, what is okay to spend, um, ask in advance if there's something they actually want. So you can just buy them that one thing rather than get a load of little things that's going to cost more that it's going to be, you know, put in the back of a cupboard. Um, I mean, I've done that with my brother and sister-in-law. I just asked them what they wanted. So I went and got them that, which means that I'm not going to worry about getting them the wrong thing and spending more than I need to. Um, and it says um, quite, uh, and it's this is, can be a difficult one, but it suggests that um, not to settle being a, um, on something rather than just being alone. So essentially don't, messaging ex just because you're feeling lonely at christmas it'll be better to come out the other side of christmas having got through those couple of days maybe hard but on your own than have wasted time with an ex um got in contact with an ex met up with them and felt the worst for it now that's a double-edged sword because for that moment you might have had a little bit of company it might have been a bit of an ego boost you might have thought oh this could work again um But then you might feel worse at the other end of it. But then you will have had a little bit of company as well. So I can kind of see both sides of the argument. Um, And I've fallen foul to that in the past. Um, It's things like taking a break if you need it. So again, rather than necessarily feeling that you've got to be spending all this time with friends and family and, you know, potential partners. Take yourself out for a day, like in the episode I did a few weeks ago where, you know, it suggested it's okay to take yourself out on a date every now and again. Go to a Christmas market on your own. Go and stay over for a night somewhere in a city where there's Christmas markets. Go to the cinema and see a Christmas film. Why not? Um, And sometimes it can be hard to force yourself to do those things on your own, but you always feel better when you do. Um, And... (laughs) make sure this is a good one don't feel you have to answer invasive questions about your love life if you don't want to because it is the time of year when people think that they can just say to you um, oh you know have you had any dates lately are you meeting anyone are you courting Are are you on any apps because it is that time of year when it's synonymous with couples buying for somebody else being with a partner snuggling up with them and it is a natural question to ask I don't ask it, one because all of my friends are partnered up, bastards, Um, joking, maybe. Um, But um, it's also just from experience, I know it's not a particularly nice question to have to answer. So also on the flip side of that, in terms of do's and don'ts of Christmas, think about the questions you are asking people um, and whether it is something that you would like to be asked yourself as well. So, going back to um, the start of the episode and, and the main topic of this was looking at Proposition 8 um, from around 2008 2010. So you're looking at around 14 years ago, but um, a couple of reasons why I want to talk about it today, um, and apologies if you hear me moving around a lot, um, I'm just sat with a hot water bottle behind I'm, my back and I'm having to move so it doesn't get too warm, um, because I was um reading uh, Kath Griffin's book, as I said, and continuing to watch her show my life on the D list, and just at the that moment she in both sections she was looking at Proposition Eight and how against it she was um and uh, can relationship and um, advocacy for the LGBT community. And I also, as I said earlier, had an email from someone saying that I don't talk about Mormons, even though it was called that one time I dated a Mormon. And the Mormon Church and the Church of the Latter-day Saints played a big part in Proposition 8, particularly in the 2008 um, vote system or, you know, kind of propaganda, I suppose. The propaganda machine that went around Proposition 8. So um, just if you're not sure about Proposition 8 and what it was about... So, essentially, in 2008, uh, in November, in California, um, it was a vote to allow or not allow gay marriage. And for a lot of people, it was quite a confusing thing because California has always been a very open, very liberal, very LGBT-friendly state. And then this proposition came in that meant that people of LGBT community would not be able to get married. And essentially, something that Cathy Griffin uh, fought against is the idea that union and a civil union is not the same as marriage. And there are a number of things that being married means that you are not allowed to have as part of a couple that you would have access to if you were um, married formally and legally. And um, uh, there's lots of things that you can go and read around. That in a little bit more detail. Um, but essentially, that's it. The Proposition 8 was looking at uh, voting against gay marriage. And in the um, initial vote, it was 52% voted for Proposition 8 and 47% against it. So there was only a 5% split. Um, 13 million people voted, and 2% of votes were invalid. Um, for whatever reason that might be for, you know, a, a ballot being filled in incorrectly or being submitted and after the date or whatever. Um, but the really important thing about that really small margin is the fact that there was a lot of confusion around Proposition 8 and your voting. So, for example, if you voted yes for Proposition 8, you were voting no for gay marriage. If you voted no for proposition eight, you were voting yes for gay marriage. So a lot of people, and Kathy Griffin talks about it in a moment, says that there were a lot of confusion. If you voted yes for proposition eight, some people believed you were voting yes for gay marriage rather than the other way around. And maybe I'm cynical, but possibly that was done on purpose to confuse people into voting a way that maybe they didn't want to didn't want to vote. Um, so I'm just going to play you a little clip of Kathy Griffin talking to a couple of people about them voting. And this is from her show, Season 5, My Life on the D-List.
1: Right. No on the proposition. Yes, yes, yes for, for gay, gay marriage. marriage. <laughs> uh, okay. A lot of people thought yes on eight meant yes for gay marriage and no on eight meant no for gay marriage. So there was a lot of just plain old um, confusion with the wording. Wait, that means that you were no on prop eight. You know, that was confusing that, the, way, yes. and it's the way that they're it. unless you really know how it's written up. Mm-hmm. If this proposition only passed by 4%, I would say there was at least 4% of confusion just in my own canvassing. So we're here on behalf of Vote for Equality, and I was wondering, remember Prop 8 on the ballot in November? Mm-hmm. The gay marriage? Do you think that gay people should be allowed to get married? No. no.
0: And then, you know, obviously, as you can see, a number of people voted in favour of gay marriage, some people were confused by it, and then a number of people there just say no don't want it, don't like it. Um, but then what's really good about the clip is that she, Kathy Griffin, then goes and interviews people and has a real dialogue with them about why they voted yes or no and whether she could potentially change their mind when it was up on the ballot again in 2008. So here she is talking to someone who voted against gay marriage, so voted yes on Proposition 8, and then they talk about really why and whether that could potentially be changed in the future
1: nice to meet you this is tiffany hi tiffany. okay so we are here on behalf of vote for equality and we were wondering if you voted on prop eight and how you voted we voted not in favor of the gay marriage And i'm just curious to know your reasons why i'm not opposed to um gay relationships i know that they still will have benefits And um, everything else, but for me at least, is something that's found in the Bible. Oh, okay. Well, it it turns out that there are 1,000 civil rights and civil liberties that would not be possible if you only had the union, so that you need the gay marriage as well. There are over 1,000 rights that civil unions do not provide for that gay marriage does. That's why this is a big issue. Well, as recent as 1967, it was illegal for black people to marry white people in several states. So when we look back on that, and also, you know, I'm not sure how you feel about the government sort of dictating who you can marry and and not marry. I mean, would it, like, would it adversely affect your life in any way if if marriage was legal between gay people? No, no. I really, really believe that most people, if you really ask them in detail about how they feel about gay marriage, I really believe most Americans are okay with it. I really believe most Americans don't think it has very much to do with them and to each their own. Okay, so if if the issue comes up again, do you think you would ever reconsider it? I think I definitely would reconsider it. Because, you know, yeah. I mean, and I know the gay community is, you know, they're struggling with this and they just want to be seen as people like everybody right. else and have the same rights as anybody else. Sure, sure, All right, well, sure. thanks for your time. Thank I really you. appreciate it.
0: Um, And I think there she makes a really important point where something I mentioned before that there are over a thousand rights that if you are in a civil partnership or a civil union, you don't have access to, as you would do when you were married. Um, and I really like that conversation because it's completely non-threatening. It's just a discussion. It's just a debate. And by the end of it, the person reflects on whether actually, do you know what would gay marriage affect me? No. So I'll vote for it then. Um, and I really like that clip. But just in terms of the right so there was um a a documentary and it was then made into a film called freeheld which was about a, a case about um a woman called Laurel Hester and her partner Stacy and essentially Laurel Hester was um dying of cancer and um when they died they wanted to be able to pass their pension and their money onto their partner Stacy but because They didn't have the same legal rights as a straight married couple. They weren't able to do that. And the documentary and the film, um, it stars Julianne Moore um, and Elliot Page um, as the couple, really looks at changing the law and what they had to fight for, just for something that a straight couple would be able to have access to, just because of a slight law change in a piece of paper. Um, And, you know, when you look at it like that, you know it kind of, in a way, makes marriage and relationships seem quite um, capitalist and um, like paperwork. But it's more than that at the end of the day, because it's about basic equality and basic acceptance. Like Kathy Griffin said there in certain parts of America, um, it wasn't that long ago that a black person couldn't marry a white person. um, And so now, um, you know, Proposition 8 It was that people couldn't marry someone of the same gender or same sex. And now, obviously more modern, um, it's about Roe versus Wade and abortion rights. And so it's about just making sure that people can be treated the same, treated treated equally and not feel that they are lesser than somebody else. Um, Going back to the uh, Mormon involvement, so... There was a lot of political and um, religious dialogue around Proposition 8 and how even the lady in the clip there, her reason for being against gay marriage and for Proposition 8 was due to religion and the fact that, you know, homosexuality is a sin in the Bible. And the Latter-day Saints and the Mormon faith really got behind Proposition 8 and wanted it to be successful. And it did them a lot of good, obviously, in certain circles. But I think it's something that a lot of people still um, hold against them. Um, And particularly in America, um, kind of see that as being quite a sticking point for the Mormon faith. Now, I have um, been in a relationship with a Mormon. I was with a Mormon family for a a number of years. And anyone that I came up up against or not up against, anyone that I met was very welcoming, very kind. But it was always in the back of my mind and clearly in the back of their their own society that homosexuality was something that was just um, not part of their everyday. And it was very clear that it was something they were uncomfortable with. And this is, is made clear in the American um, Mormon collection supporting Proposition 8. Now, not everybody would have done, not every Mormon would have done, but it was a very Mormon-heavy ballot. Um, There's a documentary called Eight the Mormon Proposition, which is made by Dunstan Lance Black, who um, wrote the screenplay for Milk, the Harvey Milk story, which won an Oscar. Um, and he's done a lot of work for LGBT equality. And it looks at the Mormon role in Proposition 8. And essentially, it looks at how the there's a very high rate of suicide in the Mormon church, particularly for gay men because they they can't kind of reconcile with their faith and with their religion at the same time, and what they feel that they should be doing and they shouldn't be doing in their religious life and their um, personal life, which must be really difficult to be able to kind of reconcile and put together. Um, and... It also then looks at how active the church was in denying of LGBT rights. Um, Now, I'm just going to play you uh, another little video clip. And this is an advert which was made by the Proposition 8 campaign and is trying to persuade you to vote for Proposition 8 and against gay marriage. And just to give a little bit of context before I listen to it. So it is two parents, two men, and they're talking to their daughter. And she's asking them about marriage, about gay marriage, about heterosexual marriage. And this was essentially a propaganda advert to make you vote for Proposition 8 and against gay marriage. Daddy, where do babies come from?
1: Mommy's have babies, dear. That's where they come from.
0: Can boys ever have babies? (laughs) No, dear. Only mommies. Megan says you have to have a mommy and a daddy to have a baby. Maybe we should spend a little less time over at Megan's house.
1: What Megan means is that it takes a man and a woman to make a baby, that's all. She said that mommies and daddies have to get married first. No, sweetheart, you don't have to be married to have a baby. Then, what's marriage for? Let's not confuse our kids. Protect marriage by protecting the real meaning of marriage only between a man and a woman. Vote yes on Proposition 8.
0: Now that was a genuine advert that was put out to persuade people to vote for Proposition 8 and against gay marriage. Now, if I just play the very end of it with the question the little girl asks. Let's not confuse our Oh, sorry, I didn't rewind far enough. Hold on, one more second. This is why I always say my podcast is not professional. What's marriage for? Ah, there we go. She asks what's marriage for. Now, at that point you could almost flip the advert there and say, exactly, marriage is, if it's not equal for everyone, then it's pointless, isn't it? Um, What's marriage for? Well, unless you're going to be giving people the same rights, then nothing really. Um, But then obviously it goes down that other route to not confuse children um and i think that that's just incredibly manipulative to play on the heartstrings of parents don't confuse your children about gay marriage let's make sure that children aren't injured with the idea of what gay marriage is um but there were genuine adverts that were put out to persuade people to vote for proposition 8 and to then make gay marriage seem like this you know we're coming after everything in your country and um You know, you see it happen with different groups and different minorities all the time, whether it was with Brexit and it was demonising anyone who wasn't white and British because they were coming for your jobs. Um, The demonisation of Meghan Markle because she was coming after the royal family. And there, the demonisation of LGBT because they're coming after marriage. And it's the fear-mongering aspect of it that's really painful in that advert um the wall street journal wrote a review of the proposition 8 documentary called 8 and it says um quote as a spotlight on the suffering of same sex couples and individuals who are rejected by family and church leaders the film succeeds it then continues to say how that um the proposition 8 was lagging in the polls and so essentially the um right wing and the church got together to try and make sure that it, it pushed through. And that it says, quote, the church ordered its members to become a mighty army. Um, And if you think about what religion is meant to stand for, which is fairness and love and equality, then what's the harm in it? But I think there's been a lot of long lasting ill will and ill feeling towards the Mormon faith and aspects of the Mormon church because of what they were pushing and some of the propaganda they were pushing in response to Proposition 8. Now, I can't really talk about Proposition 8 without referring to um, a case about Matthew Shepard, which you may have heard of. You may not have come across this before. Um, and this is not a particularly pleasant um, story. So you might want to sit this out. Um, but it's a, it's an interesting story. I've read a book about it. I read the book that uh, Matthew Shepard's mum wrote and you can't really talk about Proposition 8, I don't think, without looking at the context of LGBT hate crimes in the very recent past of, of that time. So essentially Matthew Shepard, um, was in 1998, um, um, he was beaten, in, I think it was Laramie was the location, um, by two men and that they had met at um, a bar, I believe, and um, then he they had taken him to a, basically the middle of nowhere and they'd beaten him up so badly that they killed him and that he was tied to um, a post, he was tied to a fence. And he wasn't found for a number of hours and he died a number of days later. Um, in a coma. So he died on October 12th, but the beating actually happened on October 6th. Um, and that there's been a lot of um, discussion since, um, whether it was um, due to money or whether it was, what it clearly was, um, a gay beating and an LGBT hate crime. I think the people who have called it more of a robbery, um, and due to money, just want to ignore the fact that it was a gay beating in a gay and and a, and a hate crime and a murder of a young gay man. Um, but he was beaten and he was left and he was tied to a fence, and he was found. I think it was early the next day, and then died six days later. Now, because of that, it really raised the discussion around hate crimes in America towards minorities, and the Matthew Shepard Act, which looked at supporting. And, and protecting LGBT members against hate crimes was signed into law in 2009 by uh, Barack Obama. So, just some information about the uh, Matthew Shepard case and also the Matthew Shepard Foundation that's been put into place. So, there was um, something called the Laramie Project, which was a play that was written after the 1998 murder, which was performed in colleges and schools to essentially teach. Children And make um, adolescents aware of what a hate crime is, how you can protect people, what you can look out for and making them aware of um, what minorities really have to face in, in just being safe on the streets, just being safe going to a club like uh, Matthew Shepard did. There was also an online community called Matthew's place, which was um an online support group for teenagers um young adults anyone who is struggling with wanting support with their sexual orientation gender identity, wanting to meet allies, wanting to talk about it, wanting to get support um His mum does a lot of um speaking and public speaking and um going into schools and educating young people as well. They put together with the mum support, um, safe schools resources, so it was lesson plans and things that could go on the curriculum around LGBT rights and LGBT support. Um, And then there was something called the Spirit of Matthew Award, which um, honoured people who taught about diversity, who talk about acceptance, whether that was in a school, whether that was in a company, whether that was through writing about it, whether that was through, um, you know, promoting it somehow. And so there was a lot of good that came out of it, even though obviously it was a horrendous situation that took place. Um, But what was really powerful about it at the time. And this is where, um, I think a lot of people who voted against Proposition 8 and therefore for gay marriage, kind of the crux of their argument came, was how the law, um, trial or the, the legal trial for the two men who murdered Matthew, the, the public reaction to that. Now, at the time when the two men were put on trial, um, members of the West Westboro Baptist Church, led by a man called Fred Phelps, put up signs across from the um, law courts with horrendous signs, loads of homophobic slogans, um talking about people having to burn in hell and how God hates fags and all the rest of it. And so essentially it was like an anti gay protest, so for the men who had murdered a gay teen. Just horrendous. Um, But people who were then supportive of Matthew Shepard and his family, they um, put together something called the Angel Action. And so they made huge um, banners and stands in the shape of angels to cover those who were across the street from the law court. Um, writing against the, the law trial, essentially, so that they will be blocked from view. So these angels um, of goodwill stood and blocked anything so Matthew's friends and families wouldn't have to see that, which is brilliant. And the angel action was then put into place as, and being founded as a charity in April of 1999. Now, um, as always, when I talk about these things, if you want to go and find out more about it, so... In terms of finding more about about Proposition 8, there is the documentary, 8, The Mormon Proposition. There is a play that you can go and read as well called The Laramie Project. I would go and watch the episode from Kathy Griffin, season 5, My Life on the D-List. It looks at it quite comically because obviously she's very funny, but it has a lot of serious comments in it as well. When she's interviewing people, she references Matthew Shepard in more detail as well. The Matthew Shepard book that his mum wrote, The Matthew of. The meaning of Matthew is really powerful, and I would suggest going and reading that, if you could, just to look at the background of why hate crimes and LGBT equal rights was such a hot topic at the time of Proposition 8, even though it was a number of years after Matthew Shepard's death. And then look at the free held, um situation as well, and the um, lack of rights between LGBT people in a civil union compared to marriage, um, and the story around Laurel Hester. Um, As always, a number of accounts that I would suggest you follow as well, so Diversify Your Narrative um, would be one that has a lot of um, educational resources that you can access as well. And just last of all, last week I did do a segment on Scream 6. Now we all know I'm a huge Scream fan love it, love horror films, especially the Scream franchise. And so I did a section of the episode last week looking at the new Scream advert or trailer that had come out of the teaser. And um, I put together lots of different little things that had um, kind of spoken to me in the advert, lots of little Easter eggs and things like that. And there was one I didn't notice until I looked at it, the advert, obviously about 74 more times. And at one... And again, this might be reading far too much into it, but fuck it, I enjoy it. Um, So basically, um, at the very start of the advert, when you see The um, Underground, it references um, Platform 2 and Platform 4. Now, in Scream 2, Platform 2, there is a very public killing of Maureen Prescott, who was murdered at the premiere of Stab, the film that um, Gail Weather's book is based on from Scream 1. If you know, then you know. And there's also Platform 4, which is mentioned. And Kirby Reed, who was meant to have died in Scream 4, is coming back in Scream 6. So 2 is referred to and 4 is referred to. Now, Scream 2, a public killing. Now, in the trailer, it's implied there's going to be a public murder of um, a character such as Mindy. I don't think it will be. I think it's a little bit of a McGuffin, but there's a suggestion that there'll be a public murder um, like in Scream 2, Platform 2, and then that Kirby Reid is back from Scream 4, Platform 4. Again, that might just be me reading far too much into these little Easter eggs, but why not? Um, so go watch the first five Scream films. Let me know if you want any more content on those. There's far better podcast about Scream out there that I've mentioned numerous times before. Go and, read, go and listen to them instead. Um, and... I hope you have a lovely Christmas and New Year. I'll try to put an episode together next week between the festivities. And um, I hope that you manage to have a nice time with friends, family, all on your own, if that's what's best for you. Remember from earlier on in the episode, um, I said don't feel the pressure to have to conform to anything. You look after yourself at Christmas time and make sure you're happy with whatever you're doing. Have a lovely festive period and I'll speak to you soon. (laughs)